Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Wyoming. I'm Mark Hamilton, your host, and today we'll take a look at our winter weather. We'll talk about the Cowboys and high school sports. We'll also remember Pearl Harbor. And finally, in our history section, Fort C.A. Smith on the Bozeman Trail. Thanks for joining us today and we hope you enjoy the show. Taking a look at Wyoming weather here the first week of December. Looks like it's going to be a nice week here. We're going to have temperatures in the high 20s. Doesn't look like we'll get much into the 30s. Getting cool overnight. We've had some low temperatures over the weekend. We got down to 4 or 5 below. This morning it was 8 degrees above zero, so a warming trend. But right now there's no big storms in the forecast. Weather looks pretty good here. And, you know, we're still a ways away from the first day of winter. But, again, our Wyoming weather has been very good, and we'll take it if this is what winter's going to be like. But we can't have this type of winter. We need to have definitely a lot of snow in the forecast and get that snowpack getting built up in the mountains for next year. Taking a look at Wyoming sports, the Wyoming Cowboys accepted a bid to the 2022 Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl. It'll be played on the 30th of December in Tucson, Arizona. They'll take on the Ohio Bobcats of the MAC, the Midwest Athletic Conference. They have played in this bowl before the Cowboys. Not uh, too long ago, a couple years ago, they played. They've also played uh, Ohio before. So this should be a good matchup. The real question right now is what the Cowboys will have left for a team by the time the bowl game comes. The transfer portal is on. The transfer games are ongoing. The Cowboys have lost some key players from their 2022 fall roster. We talked about, uh, I think on the last uh, podcast, Titus Swin has left the program. He's in the portal. And they have four of their other players that have also hopped on board. And, you know, we talked about this last year and it brought a lot of concern to a lot of people. And it's just something we're facing. Uh, proverbial, the genie in the bottle. When you open that bottle up, you can't get the genie back in. This NIL and and transfer portal and everything that's been put in place is here to stay. It uh, might be the demise of our sports, but... It has really just opened up another recruiting season. Players that aren't feeling like that they're being utilized, feel like there's better opportunities, have the opportunity to go out and get re-recruited. So what happens, these players will go into the portal, put their names in the portal, and that will allow all these other colleges across the country to, to make offers to get those players on their campus. So in one side of it, a few of these players think it's a chance to maybe step up and play a little bigger on a bigger stage than maybe at Laramie. And uh, But it's going on everywhere. I follow the Oklahoma Sooners, and they've had, I think at the last count, 12 players enter the transfer portal. But at the same time, they're also, the Oklahoma Sooners are actively recruiting players out of the transfer portal from other teams to come and play for Oklahoma, and that's how C.J. Colden ended up on the Oklahoma Sooners. But for the Wyoming Cowboys, I guess it's a decision you have to make if you want to partake in the games. 
the transfer games. It's a way your team can get better. And there are players out there that would definitely want to play for the Cowboys. And I think it's important to kind of grasp this. I don't know what Coach Bowles' philosophy is on this. Sometimes the older coaches have a want to build up from your recruiting and, and try to maintain these players. But as you can see, the last two years we've lost players. So we definitely have to to compete. We have to adapt to the current situation in college sports. So again, the Cowboys, we'll see where they are. We'll, we'll wait about another week. I know they're a little thin at the running back position. They don't have any of their running backs they used during the season, more or less, or with Swin's uh, transfer and their two other backups are out for the remainder of the season due to injuries. So they're going to have to go and go to a couple of younger backs that didn't get an opportunity to play much during the season. And I think this is an opportunity for those players to step up, maybe cement themselves into a starting spot or move up in the depth chart for next year. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But again, college football is still going. We've got about a month of bowl games. And right now also college basketball is going. The Wyoming Cowboys are playing. They had some high hopes going into the season, but they've had some injuries and just haven't been playing great basketball right now. They're on a little bit of a losing streak, but it's still early. They have not got into conference play yet. They'll get going here real quick. And with a couple of players getting back and getting into the heart of the season, they still have a chance to do everything that they wanted to to win the Mountain West Conference Championship and get into the big dance. So also the Lady Cowgirls are continuing on. They're having a good start to their season with a new coach. So all the college sports are going right now. And uh, also talking about sports, our high school sports, our fall sports are over, as we've chronicled in past podcasts. Now we're in our winter sports. Action will start heating up this weekend as everybody will be on the hardwood. Basketball teams, there are a lot of tournaments, most of this early action in the state. Seems like until later in January are tournaments. When they actually, after those tournament period, they'll get into conference games. So a lot of yellow buses will be out on the road this weekend all over the state for basketball. Wrestling is in full swing. Swimming, indoor track will be getting going. So, again, yellow buses will be on the highway and a good opportunity to get out and and support your local schools. December 7th is the Remembrance Day for Pearl Harbor, anniversary of Pearl Harbor, an event that just changed our society, changed our world. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. The Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, by air, President Roosevelt has just announced. The attack also was made on all naval and military activities on the principal island of Oahu. We take you now to Washington. The details are not available. They will be in a few minutes. The White House is now giving out a statement. The attack apparently was made on all naval and on naval and military activities on the principal island of Oahu. The president's brief statement was read to reporters by Stephen Early, the president's secretary. A Japanese attack upon Pearl Harbor naturally would mean war. Such an attack would naturally bring a counterattack. 
and hostilities of this kind would naturally mean that the president would ask Congress for a declaration of war. There is no doubt from the temper of Congress that such a declaration would be granted. This morning, Secretary Hull talked with the secretaries of war and of the Navy. Now the two special Japanese envoys, Admiral Nomura and Special Envoy Caruso, are, are at the State Department engaged in conference with Secretary of State Hull. Their appearance at the State Department on this Sunday afternoon emphasizes the gravity of the Far Eastern situation where hostilities now seem to be actually opening over the whole South Pacific. And just now comes the word from the President's office that a second air attack has been reported on Army and Navy bases in Manila. Thus, we have official announcements from the White House that Japanese airplanes have attacked Pearl Harbor in Hawaii and have now attacked Army and Navy bases in Manila. We return you now to New York and we'll give you later information as it comes along from the White House. Return you now to New York. Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate, of the House of Representatives, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The United States was at peace with that nation and at the solicitation of Japan was still in conversation with its government and its emperor looking toward the maintenance of peace in the Pacific. The attack yesterday on the Hawaiian Islands has caused severe damage to American naval and military forces. I regret to tell you that very many American lives have been lost. In addition, American ships have been reported torpedoed on the high seas between San Francisco and Honolulu. As Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy, I have directed that all measures be taken for our defense, but always will our whole nation remember the character of the onslaught against us. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. I believe that I interpret the will of the Congress and of the people when I assert that we will not only defend ourselves to the uttermost, but will make it very certain that this form of treachery 
shall never again endanger us. Hostilities exist. There is no blinking at the fact that our people, our territory, and our interests are in grave danger. With confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph so help us God. I ask that the Congress declare that since the unprovoked and dastardly attack by Japan on Sunday, December 7th, 1941, a state of war has existed between the United States and the Japanese Empire. Today in our history section, we're going to go off on a little different direction, and this is from the nationalparkservice.gov. We're going to talk about a site that's pretty close to us here, Fort C.F. Smith, the Bozeman Trail, from the beginning to the end of its relatively short history, was a scene of almost constant turmoil in the eyes of the Sioux, especially the followers of Chief Red Cloud and their Cheyenne allies. The trail violated the Treaty of Fort Laramie. The treaty had promised undisturbed hunting grounds to the Sioux and the trail transversed some of the most prized country. These warriors immediately saw it, that any white man on the Bozeman Trail was fair game. Settlers moving over the trail blazed by John Bozeman in 1864 traveled at their own risk. After the Civil War ended, the government started to take measures to protect immigrant trains. Efforts to, to secure another treaty with the Sioux and the Cheyenne at Fort Laramie in June of 1866 ended with the untimely arrival of Colonel Henry B. Carrington with orders to construct forts along the Bozeman Trail. The angered tribesmen viewed this act as a virtual declaration of war and therefore left the council. Only large, well-armed wagon trains could realistically hope to reach the gold fields unscathed. A lone traveler 
or a party few in numbers had a good chance of meeting disaster at the hands of Red Cloud's warriors. Therefore, pressure was exerted on the federal government to protect the people moving over the Bozeman Trail. As a result, even though the U.S. Army had shrunk to only a shadow of the military machine of the Civil War days, a regiment of infantrymen were ordered to garrison five forts along the Bozeman Trail. One of these posts, Fort C.F. Smith, overlooked the Bighorn River at the Bozeman Trail. Fort Reno on the Powder River in north-central Wyoming was built first. This was followed by the construction of Fort Phil Kearney, about 80 miles farther to the northwest. Two other forts were established at crossings of the Bighorn River and the Clark's Fork. By the end of July 1866, work on Fort Kearney had progressed enough to allow redeployment to establish a fort on the Bighorn River. A manpower shortage caused plans for a fort on the Clark's Fork to be abandoned. The War Department directed the post to be named Fort C.F. Smith in honor of Mexican War and Civil War hero Brigadier General Charles Ferguson Smith. Guided by the famed scout Jim Bridger, Captain Nathaniel C. Kinney set out from Fort Kearney with two companies of the 2nd Battalion, 18th Infantry, on August 4, 1866. On August 12, Captain Kinney chose a commanding bench overlooking the river as the grounds for his fort. The site was two miles below the mouth of Bighorn Canyon and 400 yards away from the ferry. Strategic vistas were not the only reason for this selection. A spring was nearby, and a good stand of pine for construction of the fort was located when three miles on Lime Kiln Creek. Work began immediately in obtaining pine logs, digging a trench, and making hay. Food for livestock could be harvested two and a half miles away in a large meadow in the valley below. The Bozeman Trail passed along the southwest wall of the garrison, crossing the Bighorn River at the ferry, only 400 yards from the fort. Work was started on Fort C.F. Smith by fatigue parties and extra-duty men on Captain Kenny's battalion. The construction and fortification of the fort continued throughout the year and finally ceased in the late winter of 1867. A 260 wagon train came through on August 16th, but the fear of Indian attacks brought traffic up the Bozeman Trail to a stop. Only one more wagon train passed in 1866. The high tide of immigration over the Bozeman Trail had passed before the fort was firmly established. Work on the storehouses, quarters, and barracks continued through the fall and winter. The unit was redesignated as part of the 27th Infantry in November. Friendly relationships were established with the Crow, but Sioux harassment of soldiers and civilians when they were away from the fort itself resulted in the loss of four lives. The snowy winter passed with infrequent mail. Stories were passed by the Crow to the soldiers at Fort C.F. Smith of the Fetterman fight. Eighty-one soldiers who pursued attacking Sioux away from Fort Kearney were lured to a larger force of Indians that killed them all on December 21st. Due to the brutal Winter weather, the details of the Fetterman fight were not confirmed at Fort C.F. Smith until February 7th of 1867. By May, the only food left at the fort was corn, originally intended for the livestock. Life was hard and lonely at the isolated post. On May 26th, a few Sioux charged the fort and ran off some of the horses. A detachment chased after them, but not far from the fort. The soldiers stopped as they didn't want to have a repeat of the fate suffered by the pursuing shoulders in the Fetterman fight. 
a suitable flagpole was finally erected on June 1st, and the United States flag flew over the fort for the first time. A supply train finally reached Fort C.F. Smith on June 11th, and another company assigned to the fort accompanied them. But the harassment by the Sioux continued. Many different people entered the adobe walls of Fort C.F. Smith from August of 1866 until the summer of 1868. Fort C.F. Smith was garrisoned by soldiers of the 18th Infantry, which later became the 27th Infantry. The command of the fort changed several times, and with one of these command changes in the summer of 1867 came the first women and children to live within the fort's perimeter. A crow by the name of Iron Bull was a mailman, and his knowledge of the land and of the Sioux greatly improved the mail service. The crow people were friendly towards the occupants of the fort, often trading goods and bringing news from other settlements in the area. They also brought warnings of impending attacks by the Sioux in Cheyenne. Lieutenant Colonel Luther B. Bradley arrived to take command on July 23, 1867, with two additional companies who were most recently supplied with the new 5070 Allen modified breech loading Springfield rifles. They also brought chests containing more of these new rifles to be issued to the men of Fort C.F. Smith. Just nine days later, these rifles played a major role in the winning of the Hayfield fight. On August 1st, 1867, a haying party of nine men and a guard of 20 men were attacked in their log fortified corral by approximately 800 Sioux. Repeated charges were beaten back. The wagon box fight near Fort Phil Kearney on August 2nd was the defeat of the other Sioux in similar action, but these fights did not end the harassment by the Sioux. During the fort's brief existence, 26 men and one woman died violently. Several of those deaths arose from combat with the hostile Indians. Most of the casualties occurred during the Hayfield fight on August 1st, 1867. Also, the Bighorn River claimed its share of lives when when unexpected individuals were swept away by raging waters. Mrs. Julia Roach Doyle has the distinct honor of being the only murder victim at the fort, a murder which went unpunished. Constantly harassed by Red Cloud's warriors, life at Fort C.F. Smith was a combination of tension and monotony. The military post was 300 hostile miles from the nearest settlement. Loneliness, disease, and mental breakdowns were the lot of the military and civilians who manned this remote outpost. While desertions took place in August and September, by fall numerous supply trains had arrived at the fort making life a bit easier for the soldiers. The first women and children also arrived at the fort during this time. Under Colonel Bradley, the old temporary barracks and officer quarters used during that first winter came down. They were reconstructed, incorporating significant improvements. The outer walls of the quarters and the barracks were part of the outer defensive wall. Pointed timbers were set upright between the houses. The work continued until early 1868. Mail deliveries were much more frequent and the winter not as harsh. Living conditions at Fort C. Smith had improved considerably. In January of 1868, the Indian Peace Commission and the Sioux agreed they both wanted peace. But the Sioux only wanted peace if the Bozeman Trail was abandoned and the troops withdrawn from Fort C.F. Smith, Phil Kearney, and Reno. On August 29th, the Peace Commission concluded a treaty with the Sioux agreeing to those terms. On May 7th, a treaty with the Crow established the Crow Reservation. The coming abandonment of the fort stopped all work on improvements and started work on preparation for leaving. All that 
wouldn't be taken care of with the soldiers was put up for public auction and sold at a very low price. Two of the companies left on June 18th. The men spent a busy July loading supplies and equipment. Fort C.F. Smith was the first of the three forts to be abandoned. The Crow people, who had come to depend on the military post for safety and trade goods, gathered to bid these men goodbye. On July 29, 1868, with no martial band to thrill the heart, the members of the U.S. Army and their dependents, who had participated in the short life of Fort C.F. Smith, turned south on the trail home. The soldiers and civilians reached Fort Phil Kearney on August 2nd. Within 36 hours, the combined forces abandoned it as well. Fort Smith was burned by the Sioux soon after it was abandoned. For the first time, the United States had failed to force its will on the Indians and make them accept its terms. Today, all that remains of Fort C.F. Smith is a marker that can be seen from the road. The site of Fort C.F. Smith is located on private property. Rather an interesting story, and that's one that I did not realize, forgot about, the Fort C.F. Smith and its short life on the Bozeman Trail. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy our podcast. As per the Code of the West, we ride for the brand, and we ride for Wyoming.